What's up? Welcome to Where in the Sports World. I'm Travis Seldridge. Every week we take you across the world to catch up with a different American player or coach that is now playing or coaching overseas. In this episode, we're talking with possibly the most successful American coach to lead a European soccer club. That would be Jesse Marsh. The Princeton grad played for former U.S. men's national team head coach Bob Bradley when Bradley was still coaching the Tigers in college. March's playing career then continued in Major League Soccer, ultimately playing for more than 10 seasons in MLS, winning three MLS Cups. Then March started coaching. It's a career that began as a stint as Bradley's assistant for the U.S. men's national team before stops in Montreal, Princeton, and then really flourishing as the head coach for New York Red Bulls. That is what led him to Europe, eventually to where he is now, leading Red Bull Salzburg in Austrian Bundesliga. He has that club back in the UEFA Champions League group stage for the second straight year, becoming the first American coach to have a team win a game in the Champions League. He's an impressive guy, an impressive coach. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. We talk about everything from would he consider coaching for the U.S. men's national team in the near future to how Bob Bradley impacted his career. We are all over the map with Red Bull Salzburg coach Jesse Marsh. Jesse, uh, it's where in the sports world is the show. So you got to tell me where in the sports world are you right now? I am in the Austrian Alps in my house, uh, not too far from Salzburg. Uh, it's a beautiful place to live, and I strongly recommend that anyone who hasn't gone skiing here in the Austrian Alps or ha hasn't visited Salzburg, Salzburg to come and see us. At what point does a kid growing up in Wisconsin figure that their journey in sports is going to take them to living in Austria coaching European soccer? Never. <laughs> I mean, how surreal no, is it to think about? Yeah, it's funny. When, when I, one of the first interviews I did when I got here to, to Salzburg, uh, and I, do, I, do, I speak in German here. I've learned German in the last few years. And they asked me, was it my dream to coach in Champions League? And I said, no, no one from where I'm from plays or, or coaches in Champions League. I said, my dream was to live in Europe so I could watch Champions League games on TV at night. So yeah, the fact that that we can that that I'm here with my family and we're living this life, it's it's pretty surreal, but we're we're trying to enjoy every day and it's been fantastic. I mean, I think, you know, obviously being in like European soccer has become such a fad here in the United States now, but you growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, that's it's not it. Like what was your European soccer kind of love where did you find your love for European soccer and your appreciation for it so this was before cable okay and we, we used to have rabbit ears and if you would move the antenna a little bit and get it to just catch the the uh, reception the right way you could get rye station from Italy and normally they had AC Milan games or the best games in Italy and then you could also on PBS get a, a, a show that they had on every Sunday called soccer made in Germany and you would get highlights of all the German Bundesliga games. So that was my first introduction to, to European football. And actually my, my favorite team when I was a kid was AC Milan because it was the team that was the best in the uh, Serie A and the team that I could watch the most. So yeah, it's, it's dating me a, a little bit. <laughs> but it works, whatever it takes, right? People yeah. have it easy nowadays. No, and I, I mean, 
The other part was that in Milwaukee, there were a lot of all the youth foot soccer clubs in Milwaukee. They were all named after like European ethnic communities. So we had Bavarians was the top one, but there was Croatian, Serbians, Polonia. So, you know, there were, and, and then there were the Mexican football leagues too. So there was all of this sort of ethnic access in Milwaukee and people don't know it is a soccer town, you know? And so all these things kind of wrapped together, introduced me to, to what soccer culture was. So I think in, in learning th more about you, and I, I obviously knew who you were before, but diving into just kind of your background and your journey to where you are, it's just so fascinating to me how Bob Bradley has impacted your career. Obviously, the former U.S. men's national team coach currently out in L.A. in, in Major League Soccer. But he recruits you to Princeton uh, when you're coming up through the ranks, and you just kind of bounced around and, and joined him in so many different stops but take me back, first impression of Bob Bradley, like what is the high school you thinking when, when this coach is coming trying to recruit you? I thought he was one of the most serious, intense people that I had ever met. But there was something really interesting about that for me. You know, you could, you could sense right away that he was just a total soccer person. Um, I went to visit Princeton and it was another like out uh, otherworldly experience for me because again growing up in Wisconsin I didn't know anyone who went to Ivy League schools and and when I heard that the Ivy League that the Princeton coach was interested in me I was kind of like I don't even know what that means um, but I went on a recruiting trip I spent the weekend with him I loved the university and I was fully intrigued by Bob and his intensity at the time I think he was maybe 31 years old so relatively young but also incredibly well polished and and, and you could tell what a soccer mind he was. So you're right, I, I followed him a lot, but it was because I think our ideas of life and football and, and sports and competing, they kind of came together and meshed in the right way. So yeah, I'm really thankful for getting the chance that I got to meet him at a young age. And, and I'm you know, also uh, aware of the fact that uh, you know, it was unique. A lot of people had that feeling about him, but I was just drawn to him and to his energy and his intensity. Well, and obviously that's a, a big part of anybody's life. Like that's such an influential, influential part, whether it's throughout your college career or when you first get into major league soccer and, and you kind of establishing who you are, how much of you do you see in Bob and, and how much of maybe do, do you feel like rubbed, rubbed off on Bob too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it came more from Bob to me, um, you know, and, and I, I really think it's important in life to have really good mentors and people that, that can kind of help show you the way. But one of the things I also realized early in my head coaching career was that maybe I was trying too much to be like Bob and I needed to continue to find kind of my own way and my own path. And, and that's nothing against Bob, but we're different people, you know, and we we're different kinds of leaders and Certainly, I learned so much about the professional football soccer business from Bob and his leadership. But then it was important for me, I think, to, to take that and, and then find my own way, find my personality and, and make sure that I represent who I am in, in, in the teams that I coach. So obviously, you went on to play a number of seasons in Major League Soccer right at the beginning of the league. And I think now with, the, with MLS being more successful and continuing to add teams, you have a neat, unique perspective. What do you see from the beginning of the league when you're first coming in as a player to now what you see with the league continuing to explode and some of the success they've had? 
Well, I mean, it's amazing, right? Now, I think there's 28 teams next year. Um, so many soccer-specific stadiums. Um, great young American players. A lot of players that were competitors of mine at the time are now becoming really good coaches. So there's a cycle happening within, within the sport in our country that means that the next generation is continuing to grow. And I think the generation that follows that will continue to grow and get better. And I think that's the key. In America, when it comes to anything, we want success, not now, but right now. And, yeah. and a little bit with MLS that's been so uh, uh, good and smart and wisely done is the commissioner's been careful about growth and making sure that we take the right steps, that we, don't, uh, that we, that we have patience. And to see where the league is now, I'm certainly really proud. You know, I'm, I'm MLS born and bred, no question. And so even I, you know, last night Nashville played Minnesota and I'm at three o'clock in the morning here watching that game. And I'm, and my wife is sleeping next to me, like, what is wrong with you? So, but you know, I watch my New York Red Bulls as much as I can. I keep up with the league. I, I follow Bob's team in LA a lot. I have a lot of friends uh, that, that play for teams, that coach teams. So it's dear to my heart, the league and certainly the New York Red Bulls. I think it's something we see in every sport is the successful player that tries to then become a coach. And you see it, I think we've seen it a lot in the NBA recently when like a young player then turns right around and two years out of the league is all of a sudden a head coach. What's the key to that successful transition? And, and how have you gotten to be going from a, a, a really good player who had a, a good long lead, uh, career in MLS to transitioning relatively quickly to being a head coach? Well, first, you know, I, I was a, a decent player. I wasn't a great player. I was you had a couple but, of caps in the U.S. national team. Yeah, yeah. two, <laughs> two. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I was a player who had to think a lot on the pitch. I had to, to use my, my intelligence because I wasn't the most athletic. I had to be a good leader. I had to, you know, I had to maximize my potential. And most of my potential was in my personality more so than it was even in my, my quality as a player. Plus, I coached while I was playing. I coached sometimes at university, youth teams. So I spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, what was going to be the next step in my career? I then, when I retired, directly went to be Bob's assistant for the U.S. national team. And I'll tell you, it's the best internship for, for an aspiring professional coach. It was amazing to coach against some of the best players in the world, some of the best coaches, to represent your country, to go to the World Cup, which is the pinnacle of our sport. So, you know, it was really a, an incredible opportunity for me and it helped me grow and introduced me to, to the, the other side. We can all say that when we were players, we were coaches, but in the end, you have to transition fully to being a coach. And, and, and that, that was a big moment in my career. And then, you know, I had to, I had to take some, I had to get my, my career going. So when I went to Montreal, it wasn't my, my best year uh, of my career, but it was, honestly one of the proudest because I had to fight and learn and grow and constantly analyze and figure out how to get better. And it was with an expansion team. And there were so many challenges that it forced me to always be creative and to think and to work. And that ultimately made me better. And that experience made me a lot better. And it's helped me get to where I am now. And obviously now you're an American coaching European soccer, which is almost unheard of. And you're, uh, you're coaching in the Austrian Bundesliga. When you go to have this opportunity, and first you were an assistant coach that, that it led you to this, this job with uh, where you are now with, uh, with, with Red Bull. 
Was there any hesitation to being an American coaching European soccer, knowing that the, the pressures that would come along with that and then some of the stereotypes you also have to break? Well, you, you, we've talked about Bob Bradley enough, and, and I watched him, right? I watched him uh, succeed and do some great things coaching in Europe, and then I watched him suffer. And that was really painful for me to watch, being a close friend of his. And so even when I went to be an assistant in Leipzig, that experience of Bob's experience and watching that from afar led me to taking that position. I felt like if I could get a year or two underneath me as an assistant, I could learn more and more German. I could adapt to European football, to the rhythm of European football. I could fully understand it. Before I took on a head coaching job, it would help me succeed. And quite honestly, it would help the way that people perceive me, my pedigree. So when I became a head coach here in Salzburg, I spoke German. I had already been an assistant with a successful team in Europe. I had that year under my belt. And that experience, I think, provided me with more pedigree and for the opportunity to people go, okay, let's give them a chance and let's see how this team plays. And then once I got that underneath me and then the team performed well, I think people ask me sometimes, what's it like to be an American coach? They don't really treat me like an American here. They treat me like I'm the head coach of, the, of, the, of Red Bull Salzburg. And, and that's because I speak the language, I know the culture, I'm ingrained into the way of football in Europe and the team is successful. Was there a moment where you felt like you went from, okay, they're accepting me as the head coach, especially with your team, to, okay, now they respect me as the head coach and they respect that, you know, I can lead a team in European soccer? No, I, I felt how, how I am is once I get my, you know, in the initial stages, sometimes you have to handle yourself properly with the media and the fans and sometimes with the leaders in the club, but then it's about getting to work. Right. And so as soon as I got in with the team and started working on a daily basis and getting to know the players and and gaining trust from everybody from inside the team in the club, then it was just about how good could we make the environment every day and how good could we be. And and, you know, we have so much talent here. It was a relatively new team, um, but there were some some major, major quality and, and some highly talented individuals within the team. And the more that I could kind of guide the environment the right way and challenge those players to achieve at their highest level, then the team came together rather quickly and the success followed. So, yeah, I mean, that's always what it's about. It's about the work and how much, how much you can do your job effectively and make people understand what their roles are and give everything to each other. Obviously, everything that you want to accomplish in coaching is obviously for you and your family and just wanting to be as successful as you can. But how much of you also in the back of your mind thinks about what it could mean for future Americans possibly coaching or playing in Europe with, if you have success? You know, it was hard for me to know when I first came over here what level of attention was, was back home for this project that I was undertaking. Um, and even when that interview that I told you where I first spoke about German, they asked me about being the first American in Champions League. And my response was, I'm not sure that I am the first American in Champions League. And second, I'm not sure even if anyone knows back home. Um, but then once the success started to come together and then we had a good run in Champions League, I could feel the energy from people back home. I was getting more phone calls. I was getting more texts. You know, I was getting more calls from the media. And then I started to see a little bit more of the bigger picture as to what this means. Um, and I don't take that lightly. 
right? I don't. I, I know that it's important to try to, to represent uh, the potential for what we have back in the U.S. in terms of our sport. But in the end, I know that if I focus on my job and I, and I get to work every day and I control the things that I can control, that's the best way to represent what we're doing back home. So that's really my focus. And, and the more that you do that, I think the more you breed success, the more you live in the moment, the more you're actually able to focus on the things that matter. So focusing on what matters, you guys are preparing later this month to, to go back into the group stage of the UEFA Champions League. And obviously winning in Austria is, is ultra important, but I wonder where's the pressure and everything rank of preparing for, especially the group stage of the Champions League where all eyes across the, the footballing world are, are on you guys and, and on that tournament. Where does the pressure relate to when you guys go back to Austria and you're in your regular season? Yeah, I wouldn't call it pressure. I would, I would more call it opportunity. Like, I think we realized from last year, you know, in some ways Salzburg was the darling of the group phase, even though we didn't advance, right? Because I think of the way we, the way we played, some of the young, talented players we had, Erling Holland, Dominic Schoberschlei, Taki uh, Minamino, Hee-Chun Wong, people were paying attention to what was happening in Salzburg. I think more so than ever in the past. And I think that was really exciting for everyone. So in the end, the first step was getting back to Champions League. So we had to qualify two weeks ago to do that. And that was, I think, a major relief. And, and the club had never done that for 13 years. So that was also a major accomplishment. And now it's about, I think, again, enjoying the experience, but going after it, like being aggressive, making sure we represent ourselves the right way, not looking back. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a core belief that I have as a, as a leader is that let's just go for it, right? And, and when you coach young players, I think if you can equip them with that mentality and, and tap into their fearlessness, then the potential grows exponentially. So that's what we'll do. We play against Bayern Munich, Atletico Madrid, uh, Locomotive Moscow, like a terrible group. <laughs> but you're going to go after it. Everyone says, what a great group. I say a terrible group. But yes, we are going to go after it. We are going to enjoy it. And we're going to play like we have nothing to lose. That, and, and, and when we do so, we usually perform at our best. Well, I think that's refreshing about the way in which you've coached from, from everything, from learning about your, your style is that hey, you know, we may be overmatched skill-wise, but we're not going to just sit back and, and hope we can work a draw or hope we can spring one for a one nothing game. You want to go at it. it. Where in your career did you develop that attitude? Well, I think I was like that as a player. It was one of my qualities as a player. Um, and then as a leader, I've, I've tried to always embody that. Um, and yeah, I, I, then when I kind of, you know, I always like to play the game in transition. I liked... Uh, to be an active, I like to be active in the game with my teams. And then when I kind of met the people within Red Bull and, and then learned the way that they think and then added it to what I believe in and, and it became a part of me, yeah, I think that it fits incredibly well. The tactically and the strategy of what we like to do along with the mentality that I have to, to try and be the best. So um, you know, last year we set the, the league record for goals in Austria. It's a hundred year league and we scored more goals than any team in the history of the league. 
we, we were one of the leading scorers in the group phase of, of Champions League. I think the only team that had more than us was Bayern Munich, who wound up winning the Champions League and the first team ever to not lose a game in, champ, in the entire tournament. So we, we were successful. Even though we didn't, we didn't um, emerge to the, to the knockout phase, I think we, we did a lot of things right and, and we're continuing to try to build on that. So you talk about trying to build, and that is the kind of key for the last – I don't know, a couple of decades when you look at American soccer. It, it, do you feel, because obviously you want to be successful, but I'm thinking that also in the back of your mind, you're proud of, to be an American and be from the United States and see the game continue to grow here in this country. How much do you look at, uh, at your ability to possibly help future Americans, whether it's coaching, playing opportunities over in Europe? Yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, even when I watch MLS all the time, I'm always thinking about what players might be able to make the transition into the projects that we're, we have over here. Um, you know, the, the latest is the, the rumor about Brendan Aronson. Um, I think there'll be announcements soon about, about that situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I certainly love the stories like Tyler Adams, like Christian Pulisic, like Weston McKenney. Brandon Aronson. I mean, you can go down the list now of all the young Americans that are over here succeeding. I mean, I'll, I throw Alfonso Davies in there from Canada because of what he was in MLS and what he's now become with Bayern Munich. So, yeah, you know, it's not easy over here. There's a lot of days of, of being uncomfortable, feeling alone, of trying to adapt to a new culture. And when these guys are 18, 19, 20 years old and now being thrown into a totally new world and, and forced to adapt, it's not so easy. So the more that we can see the, the young players who have this motivation, who have this ambition, who have this desire to be the best, that's the way our game's going to grow. That's the way players are going to get better. And as much as talent drives uh, the top players, it's always going to be about personality and mentality. And so that we have now. We're starting to show our Americanness uh, for, for players and coaches over here in America. I mean, in Europe, it's, it's this fearlessness, this self-belief, this grittiness to do whatever it takes. That's, that's what I think is a, a core tenant of what we are as Americans. And then you can make sure they get some nice European fitting suits once they get over there, right? Yeah, that, you know, I, I, we, when we play against Atletico Madrid, Diego Simeone is always dressed very cleanly. So I've, I've got some work to do for that game, for sure. I'm slowly turning more and more Euro, but my wardrobe's got a long, a long way to go. No, I was, I was going to say at one point, because, you know, I, w I went over to Italy for my honeymoon and I, I feel like I w was a pretty sharp dresser here in the United States. And I walked over and I felt like a fish out of water walking around yeah. Rome. Like how, how long does it take you to get comfortable? You know, I mean, there's a lot of things about living here that when you first come, you know, it's, it's a romantic idea in your head about living in Europe, you know, and, and walking through cobblestone streets and stopping at cafes and, <laughs> And the, the, the nice thing is even I went out to dinner with my wife uh, last week and I said, you know, it doesn't feel so novel anymore. It's, start, it's starting to feel like this is, this is our home. This is where we are. This is who we are. And, and so, you know, that there's, there's some really, I think the experience has, has worn off on us in a really good way, but we still, you know, miss our friends and family back home. We still miss a lot of our traditions that we have back home. And it's not quite the same here, but you just try to enjoy the newness of it and, and adapt in the right ways, but, but still be unique to yourself. So obviously you still have a lot of, I think you want to accomplish there with Salzburg in, in Austria. But when you look forward, and I think 
maybe the national team is probably the, the place that has to be like a, somewhere on your eye. Like if you had an opportunity, and I'm not telling you to campaign for it, but you had an opportunity to coach the U.S. national team. Is that an opportunity you could ever turn down? Probably not. <laughs> um, you know, even when I was an assistant with the national team, um, I recognize how important that job is to the sport in our country. And, and anytime any of us get the chance to represent, uh, you know, your country, hear the national anthem, Olympics, World Cup, um, it's pretty special, you know? So, yeah, I, I've been asked that question. You know, right now I'm supportive of what Greg Berhalter is doing and, and what U.S. soccer is trying to do. It's been really unfortunate that, that the project's been halted a little bit by Corona time and they haven't been able to get the group together and, and continue the progress that they've started. Um, there's two things, representing your country. And the second part is, I think my idea of football fits our player pool incredibly well. And so for me, it would be a really interesting, fun project to take our young athletic talent and try to teach it how to do things the way that we think, that I think, and, and see how good we could make them and, and, and how much we could, the part about the intensity, the aggressiveness, the confidence, the mentality. Like I would love, love to work with a lot of these young, talented players and put a U.S. team on the field that, that really went after games and went after the best opponents. So... Let's see, man. You know, it's, uh, I'm enjoying this project right now, and, and, and I, hope, I hope that the national team is somewhere down the road in my future. All right, so let's have a, a little bit of fun before we, we let you go here to finish up this interview. Um, first off, quick hitters. What's the one piece of food you miss the most about being in the United States? It's Mexican food, easy. Really? Yes. A good burrito, a good taco, a good enchilada, anything like that. Guacamole, a good guacamole with a, with a nice Corona beer with a lime. Then that, that's the end right there. That's the answer. So you, you can't find Mexican food in Austria. You can, but it's not real Mexican food. It's never, never real. So yeah, we miss that. And that's usually when we, as soon as we land, that's the first thing we do is find, find either a Chipotle or like our favorite Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, when you were learning German, what was the like worst mistake you made with a word that somebody maybe screwed that somebody went, wait, what did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> There's so many, honestly, but like, the problem is, is I, I like, I turn words that aren't really English terms, but they're definitely not German terms. And somehow <laughs> I blend them together and I call it dinglet, Danglish. Right. So it's Deutsch and, and English together. And it's it's really not that great. So what's great is that nobody understands me in English and no one understands me in German. That's what I get. <laughs> and favorite part about being in Austria? Um, just the physical environment. The In the summer, you have the lakes and you can go hiking in the mountains. You can, you know, the, the, the small villages, the it's amazing. And then in the winter, the winter sports, the skiing in the Alps, chalets you know fireside in a in a chalet after a day of skiing the, the they call it Lebensqualität. the 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 life quality is just so beautiful here and the people are also amazing so come visit man come visit yeah as soon as we get through this pandemic i, I think i need to go that back to europe that would be great Jesse, hey, man, we appreciate the time. Looking forward to seeing you guys in action in the Champions League as well as there in Austria. We appreciate the time. Right on, Travis. Thanks for having me. And let me know when you want me to come back. All right. Sounds good.